Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting live from the Morton studio. We're going to be talking a little about strip till. And we had a number of questions that have come in recently about, okay, I'm doing strip till for the first time this fall. And what do I have to expect going into next spring? Am I going to have to freshen up strips? Uh, what if I did fertility? What if I didn't do fertility? What about nitrogen? A lot of different things. Uh, so we thought, you know what? It'd be a good time to, to catch up on that. Believe it or not, there's actually still stuff happening up here in the north uh, where we're at in South Dakota. There's still tillage going on this week, still fertilizer going out there. It's crazy. We're going to be 50 degrees again next week, which I realize if you're in the extreme south, you say 50, that doesn't sound very exciting, but that's 20 degrees above freezing. And I think that's a good way to look at things that, hey, you know what? We're going to be above freezing. The ground is not going to have frost in it. We can still do a lot of these things to get ready for next spring. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We also had, I should I should have mentioned this too. We also had a number of residue con- conditions where there was green snap, there were just long pieces of stock out there and farmers that had trouble with that in strip till. So we'll, we'll talk about that situation just a little bit too. And, you know, there is a lot going on. I, I mentioned, well, today would be a great time to talk about this tillage thing. The other thing is seed. There, there's just a lot of change happening in the industry and in the breeding programs of some of these companies. The focus has been on solving problems. So like on the corn side, we're, we're starting to hear from companies starting to see the first fruits of their tar spot program. Number one, they just had to identify the hybrids that they currently had and the inbreds that they currently had. How did those do on tar spot? And now there's been enough years of tar spot happening out there that most of the companies are getting a pretty good handle on what they've got. But looking at the new crosses coming through, we're starting to see some improvements. It's not great yet. Uh, And I know there was a study that came out from APS Press. I I just saw this probably a week or two ago. They were talking about genetic resistance or tolerance in hybrids being a really big deal for tar spot. You can do a good job with fungicides, and they they made that comment too. Properly timed fungicides and repeated applications, those kinds of things can be very effective as well. Uh, but if you get a hybrid that has a high level of tolerance long term, that's what we should be shooting for. So it'll be fun to see how that happens. And as you're making those hybrid selections this year, if you're in the areas that have had a lot of tar spot, That'd be something to ask about. We are not in a tar spot area yet. Uh, Hasn't been a problem here, partially because we've had three years of drought. But it's one of those things that three years ago, uh, farmers in our area, including us, were asking about this. Hey, how's this hybrid doing tar spot and those kinds of things? And now that is really quieted down here because it's kind of old news for the guys that haven't had tar spot yet. But don't don't be uh, passive on this one. You you got to be proactive, be prepared, spread your risk. Even if you say, well, I haven't had it yet, uh, at least look at what the tolerance is and probably pick a couple of hybrids that aren't too bad just in case. All right. Then on the soybean side, one of the big things has been soybean cyst nematode. And I remember listening to Greg Tilka from Iowa State, I think two years ago. And I was at one of his meetings and talked to him just a little bit after and And he said, you know, he goes, I haven't been the most popular speaker the last few years. He goes, about 10 years ago, I was super popular. Everybody wanted to talk about nematodes. Now it's kind of, well, nobody's really worried about it too much. 
But a couple of years ago, he said, hey, just wait. I'm going to be the most popular guy at the events here coming up because there's a lot of stuff happening. And he was right. He was right. And, and he should be right because he's looking at all the data and doing all the trial work. There's a lot of demand for peaking soybean cyst nematode resistance. And what's interesting is you should be talking to these researchers uh, about as much as you're talking to your seed dealer because there are a bunch of different breeding companies out there. They're trying to get peaking varieties. And when you're desperate and you don't have any peaking varieties or you don't have very many and you've got something that kind of has moderate resistance or it's heterozygous where some some seed will have it and some won't those kinds of things we're seeing those show up in some of the seed guides as peaking resistance well there's a whole lot difference if 100 percent of the seeds have 100 percent of both genes needed to call it a peaking resistant bean and we just aren't seeing that across the industry. So be a little cautious uh, as you're buying these Peking varieties and look at some of the research because there are companies and, and universities out there that are doing the testing that are finding out what's legit. But I will say this, even, even with that, that there are going to be some, as I would say, uh, maybe half-truths. I, I think there are legitimately a lot of really good Peking soybean varieties coming and the yield data this year looked strong. I look at a lot of the independent trials that get done in the upper Midwest, and they, there are a lot of Peking varieties up towards the top. So that is something that I, I know for our farm, we haven't had a massive nematode problem yet, uh, even though we've been planting nematode-resistant soybeans uh, for protection just to be on the safe side. This is something that we're seeing a lot of growers in our area that are switching to these Peking varieties, on at least part of the farm. I do think it's going to be important not just to say, well, I switched to Peking and I'm all good. That really isn't it. You're going to have to manage soybean cyst nematodes. I think some of these seed treatments can definitely help. So I don't have any problem using some of those with a resistant bean. I also don't have a problem rotating your PI88788 varieties with your Peking varieties. It's not just, well, Peking solves everything. It, there's four races that Peking controls that PI88788 doesn't. That's it. There's only four races of nematodes. So it's not like it's, oh boy, there's 20 races here that, that PI88788 is missing. There's just a few. So don't think that Peking's just going to be your complete solution because it hasn't been. You look back at the trial data over the last 10 years and you'd say, well, there's plenty of trials here where Peking didn't necessarily shine because there are nematode races that Peking misses that PI888, PI88788 gets. So rotating them uh, in your soybean plan should be a pretty good option going forward. All right, uh, we're going to talk about strip till on today's program. We're also going to be taking your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. It's a hungry world of 8 billion people. Let's not let them down. Commodity Classic is where you'll find innovation in the quest for bigger yields. Join us in Houston for new frontiers in agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at CommodityClassic.com. 
The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our topic is strip tillage, but we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Start off with Dave Sender with Environmental Tillage Systems. Dave, thanks for joining us today to talk a little strip tillage. You bet. You bet. It's one of my favorite topics. Okay, so this fall, we had pretty dry soils in a lot of areas. Did that create any issues for you as you're running tillage equipment? Yeah, it, it can, of course. Um, we've seen it the last couple falls. This this fall ended up being a little better in, in most areas since we did get some moisture in October. But, um, you know, first and foremost, regardless of the tillage practice, it, it needless to say, takes a toll on the equipment and your consumables. So, yeah, you typically see growers burning through the consumables pretty fast. But, you know, specifically when it comes to strip till, you know, it kind of, you have to change up your approach a little bit. Um, you know, perhaps it's machine settings or or even changing, uh, you know, to even a different uh, type. So, for example, you know, Coulter, you know, like with our units, um, we've got Coulter units and we have Shank units. You know, if it gets really dry, maybe end up swapping over to a, you know, a shank for the fall. But um, like this fall, what happened is, um, you know, once we got that shot of moisture, it made a, you know, pretty significant uh, difference. Beyond that, you know, it's it's machine settings, and you can start to get into the real fine details of, you know, different ways you're manipulating the toolbar, or in our case, you're you're playing with with different air pressures, or maybe even different culture types. You know, we've got cultures that tend to do better in drier ground than wet and and vice versa. Yeah, it's it's like a lot of things. I, I look at um, a lot of equipment on planters the same way, that some setups work better on some soil types and soil conditions than others, and just thinking that one setup is always going to be the best choice for every situation, that's pretty idealistic. Uh, so a, as we ran through this fall, and we did a, a number of fields on our farm with strip tillage this year, uh, I always think about the spring freshen up. 
Are we going to need a spring freshen up? Did we leave enough berm? And this is something that as soil conditions change throughout the field, you see some places where, oh yeah, we left a nice four inch berm or we left a six inch berm and other areas we didn't leave very much of a berm. Uh, what do you see with that as you travel around and talk to different growers? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're hundred percent right. It just, there, it just varies so much, but um you know, the other part of that too is, is kind of what winter throws at us. It, you know, is that, uh, you know, do we get a good snowfall? Has there been a lot of rain to settle out those strips and so forth? But it really varies year to year and even kind of what their prior practice was. So to give you an example of that is you say, say a grower who is transitioning from conventional till to strip till. A lot of times they tend to be a little bit more apt to do freshen passes in the spring as that soil health is starting to change. Um, but, but by and large, and it's actually, it's, it's funny you ask the question because I do ask a lot of growers about freshening because it's a pretty common question we get, especially when growers are really starting to think about converting over to strip till. But I, I ask most of our, the growers I work with, how often are you freshening? And it, um, it's it's one one out of every handful of years. So say one out of every five or six years, and and it really is driven by um, really kind of what Mother Nature has handed us. So it's not something that you necessarily need to do every year, but but I think when you're planning and thinking of what your spring work might look like, is it's definitely definitely something you want to keep in the back of your mind, and and at least have that that. Um, possibility that you might be looking at that you know as you look back at 2023 and you get to cover a, a pretty broad area you get to talk to a lot of growers that have been doing this for quite some time uh, what was the yield data like in comparisons that you had versus other systems uh, what, what were some observations that you had from 2023 and lessons that you'd say hey here's a few things that we learned this year that we definitely want to update or, or make some changes to plans for next year yeah, so I mean, definitely to kind of state the obvious, the the moisture side of things played a big part of it, but it it quite frankly was across the board. Um, some growers uh, were very pleasantly surprised. Some growers kind of knew throughout the you know summer of the growing season they knew what they were going to get, um, and then others were you kind of kind of disappointed. So I mean, it, it was really really across the board. Um, you know, as far as lessons learned. Um, we know we can't control, you know, Mother Nature. So, I mean, we can do the best what we can to control those variables. And I do think that strip till does allow us to, um, and a lot of that comes with, with soil health and whatnot, but I think strip till allows us to really, as I like to say, it, it really it smooths out those peaks and valleys. So the, the extremes of, of extreme moisture or extreme dry, it, it helps kind of smooth out that. And like I said, a big part of that, is is because of the soil health side of things but you know overall when i talk with growers who maybe say compared with some of their neighbors that practice other um uh, forms of of tillage um by and large i'd say their averages seem to be stronger uh than than maybe some of their their um, their neighbors 
you know, one question that we had this fall was was about depth, and you talked about some of the different setups that you could have for strip tillage, and there were just a lot of guys coming out of drought that said, I, I got a hard pan down there. I got to do something with it. And I know for us, we went a little deeper with a shank on, on some of our strip till ground and felt like we were getting under it really well where we could just shove a shovel in the ground as far as we wanted to down through those strips, which should be great for next spring's root system. What did you notice with hard pans this year? Did you did you see a trend as far as where guys were going with depth and what kind of setups were, were working to help with the hard pan? Yeah, so it, it, it seemed to kind of vary depending on how long somebody's been strip tilling for. The growers that have been strip tilling for, say, a longer period of time definitely seem to be a lot less concerned to, I would almost say, not even concerned of, of the hard pan, depending on what kind of soil types they're working with. And they, they tended to, to be more uh, growers that were, frankly, only wanting to run in that, say, three to four, maybe five-inch range, even even for fall strips. Uh, but but the guys that have tr- transitioned now, you know, recently, yeah, they typically are trying to go as deep as possible. Um, you know, one of the things with, even with the Coulter systems, and, and I I don't have a good scientific reason for it, but we're able to break up those hard pans. And I, I, you know, like when I go out and do demonstrations, for example, I always bring uh, or, or have the grower have a penetrometer with them. And it's very important to check between those strips and on the strips. And it always amazes me. And I've been in some really brutal circumstances where you're running on silage fields for the, you know, the trucks are running in and out. And even for a single pass with, with doing a culture unit, you're able to really break up those hard pans um, with, with just not a lot of, I don't say not a lot of effort. Of course, it takes a lot of, you know, a fair amount of horsepower and everything to get through that. But um, it, it always amazes me on, on how that, that hard pan, even in the dry conditions, really starts to, to break up and fracture. And going back to, you know, the soil health side of things, that just continues to get better and better and better every year that goes by. Yeah, there's just so many things here with strip till that I I just love it as we scout fields, look at different soil types on our farm, different terrain. We're always learning lessons there, and we found our best operators have been the ones that are willing to get out, do a little digging, see what's going on, make some adjustments as, as you need. It, I'm not saying this is complicated to do. I'm just saying you can you can do as good a job as you want to do, and, and there is a lot of room for improvement. Not not unlike running a planter, where you see the performance is going to be a little bit different in different parts of the fields. It's just been so valuable for us doing strip tillage, putting nutrients where we need them so our crops can get them in the last three years in this drought have really shown the results of that. Uh, hey, Dave, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on every time that you do, and, yeah, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thanks. Have a great day. Talking strip tillage on our show today, but we're also taking your agronomic questions. If you got something you're working on in your farm, you're thinking about for your farm, please give us a call. It's 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. 
Preview 2.1 SC herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Talking a little strip till on today's program and also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, going to head out to Wyoming first, get a couple of callers lined up here, but I'll, I'll get to Butch in Wyoming first. How's it going, Butch? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How's the fall treating you? Uh, you know what? We've had pretty, pretty nice fall, I got to say. Uh, not as much wind as usual and pretty dry so we had a little moisture around beet harvest but otherwise not not nothing bad yeah i know it's almost mid-december here and i'm still calling it fall because it's still nice oh, and we don't yeah, have any snow 50 degrees here today yeah <laughs> i mean it's nice yeah this is awesome this is awesome all right so with strip tillage did did you get any strip till done that you wanted to or do you like to do that in the spring well um we've tried in the fall a little bit um uh, comes down to manpower and 
logistics, but after with us having pinto beans and sugar beets and then trying to get the corn done, it just gets to be on too late. So we kind of trying to rough and dark ground for the beets and the beans so they don't blow through the winter. And uh, we just kind of more so push it to the spring. So we try to get out as early as we can. You know, one of the things too, and I know some growers that are just corn soybean uh, farms and, and we had been that for quite a few years. We've got a third crop in. We're happy about that. And it's it's good to have multiple crops, but my goodness, there's so much work to be done and it so is, many different it, rotations. It, it, this fall was crazy because it, you know, really wet spring and just cold. And then all of a sudden at harvest, beans, beets, corn, they all just happened at once. So <laughs> we were <laughs> running around with our heads cut off for a while. Yeah. It was a little stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, and you know, that's one of the things uh, that I would say is a negative point on strip till is it does take time. It, it's not something it where you're buzzing across the field with a 120 foot pass at 10 miles an hour or something like that. It It's going to take right. a little bit of time. And, and you know, generally with most operations I talk to, uh, it's the main, main uh, person or main couple of people that are doing it because they want to make sure the lines are just perfect and right where you want them yep. for next year and all those kinds of things. So as much as you want to be uh, uh, the number one guy in the harvesting equipment, uh, you also should be the number one guy in the strip till. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, you're correct. And, you know, with uh, we put liquid down, and um, I've been debating try and dry, but we, we're set up for liquid, so I don't know if it'd be an advantage. I was thinking more dry in the fall if we could get it set up that way, but. I don't know. I just haven't done it. it it's tough because you're in Wyoming, and there's no guarantee you're going to get a whole lot of rain either. So you kind of like Correct. liquid from the standpoint that, well, it takes less rain to get that stuff working. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, if you have a bad spring, guess what? Then you're getting pushed with the strip tills, and you want to start planting. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just a, It's kind of a double-edged sword sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a challenge. And, and, you know, when we talk about strip till, I know we'll get some feedback from people. Oh man, you're really pushing strip till hard. No, we're not. There's just a lot of questions about it. Cause there's a lot of different ways that a person could do it. And most operations I talk to Butch, Hey, the strip till. Yeah, that's nice, but I can only get a few fields done cause I don't have that much time usually. And uh, so, yep, I use it on some acres and, and like you were mentioning, just even uh, erosion and those kinds of things that, gosh, I don't want to do anything in the fall on this particular ground or it's going to blow. Mm -hmm. that's a problem here where we're at it's not a matter if the wind's going to blow it's a matter how hard it's going to blow um we've had just in last week 60 70 mile an hour winds here and i mean it's you know that's the thing in the spring sugar beets go into corn stalks so trash is i call it trash but it's your friend really for erosion and wind issues so Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Butch, uh, I know you've been super busy. I really appreciate talking to you a minute here and look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you very much. Yeah, let's head over to Kansas. Uh, Butch was just mentioning how much it, the wind can blow over in Wyoming, and then us guys that are a little further east from him, uh, we happen to catch some of that. I know it blows over in Kansas sometimes too. How are you doing, Chuck? Good. So what are you thinking on strip till? I guess what's – have you been doing it for a while? No, absolutely not. My problem, or at least I feel like it's a problem, and I I would like to hear some people that are maybe have this same issue. 
our ground is all terraced in this country. And, um, you know, you got point rows and, and, you know, if you try to go with the terraces in which we're planting with them yet, but I just don't see how I can, do you have people doing that? I guess it's the question I have to ask. There, there are some, no doubt about it. And you're right in pointing out that that can be a challenge. So we've got, we don't have a ton of terraces anymore, but we do have some, and some of it's on ground that I own. And, uh, I, I don't like full scale tillage. And so we've tried some strip till there and it's tough. The, the GPS has really got to be on the machine cause there's just enough lag there that, uh, you end up, um, uh, <laughs> it ends up tough to plant into. And so it can be done. We have done it. It can work. But by the same token, uh, you re- this is where you really got to match equipment up. We get questions a lot from guys. Well, I've got a 12-row strip till and a 16-row planter. I would not do that on terraces. Uh, but if you had a 12-row planter and a 12-row strip till, then, yeah, I think you could do it just fine. Uh, but it, you're right. It, it it depends on how much are terraces in your operation. I mean, is it most of the fields? I'd say probably 90% of it. And yeah. In fact, I got a contractor today putting in some outlets on some, um, you know, cause we're having trouble with waterways and everything else. And I'm sure that's, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it's just these terraces, they're a necessity, but boy, they take some extra work and our tillage program and the, basically and this is one reason we've kind of stayed with it we've modified it some but we're discing corn stalks with a with an actual tandem disc yet that has a mulcher on the back that's leaves are pretty fine yep and uh i mean pretty level anyway bean ground we're not doing too much with it we're shooting gas in the spring on 20 inch centers and then field cultivate behind that and um on the corn on the corn ground going to beans, we did, we're spraying yellow in the spring, one pass with a field cultivator, and then planting. So, I mean, part of it is to get the starter work down is why we're still working some ground back here. Sure, sure. Yep. Were you on the side of Kansas uh, that actually got some rain this year? No. We, uh, beans in our country, if you had 30 bushel beans, you was you had bragging beans, but most of them were in the twenties to 25 and, uh, pretty tough year, really. I mean, I've seen worse, so I can't really holler, but, uh, you know, 30 bushel beans don't, or 25s don't pay a lot of bills in our country. No, no, nope. That's no fun. Especially when you put in all the work and you put in all the inputs and everything else, it just, you can't do that too many well, years. Well, our inputs in a row. were high this spring. Yep. And, uh, but Hey, I've cut all day on a truck too, so at least one like that. Yep, yep. Well, you know, it might, it might not be the right thing for you. I, I guess is anybody trying the strip till out your country, or you're just kind of curious? No, and, just... and that's and that's why I called in. I've been wanting to ask this question. I really like the idea of your P and K down there in the ground. Yes, six inches or whatever, you know, something. Even chiseling this ground in, I don't think that PNK is in there much over three inches, to be truthful with you. You're but, correct. Yep, you're absolutely uh, right. As far as organic matter, we're on grid samplings. Our organic matter is running right around 3%, which I know that's not the greatest, but believe me, that's, that's always from poor. Yeah, that's not bad. And uh, so I don't know. We're 
you're always looking for something to improve yourself. Yeah. And you know, what's uh, the reason I was asking if there's anybody doing it around there is twofold. One, just kind of curious if they were doing it, if you could go take a look at it, but two, then you could rent a machine. It seems like, but everywhere that we've talked to and there's, there's somebody that's doing it, they're willing to rent the machine out or to come over and do a field for you or do part of a field so you can see. And uh, I'd be interested in that. Just like you say, getting that P and K a little deeper because you know, it's going to get dry sometimes. Well, Chuck, thank you for the call. We really appreciate it because you're absolutely right on the terraces. It's a huge challenge. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the call. And, and I try to listen to you as much as I can. I, <clears throat> the only place I got you is in the pickup. So, Well, that's good enough. We really appreciate it, Chuck. Thank you so much, and have a Merry Christmas. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at FarmShopMFG.com. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and questions today at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Our topic strip-till, and of course you can ask us questions on anything. Uh, i got Stephen Pranky on right now with CNB Operations. Talk a little green strip-till. How you doing, Stephen? Good, good. Yourself? Well, pretty good. Had a question about P and K, and we're just talking with a farmer from Kansas, and he was talking about putting P and K out there. And you know, I would say of the fertility things that guys are doing with strip till, seems like a lot of P and K is the preference. Uh, what do you see? I guess do you work with guys trying to do the nitrogen that way too, or or uh, micronutrients or other things, or or what do you see on the fertility front? Yeah, it's uh, it's really mixed just depending on the operation, the guys that are, you know, running in the fall, we see more of the PK blends. And then if guys are doing strip till in the spring, we do see some nitrogen being added to that operation. So it really just depends on the time of year they're strip tilling, whether it's fall or spring. Talk to us a little bit about precision ag when it comes to strip till in terms of what you need for GPS and those types of things. Yeah. So on the deer side, really, when we talk about strip till, it's making the, you know, really the integration of technology easier and manageable with strip till. So, you know, that's been always the thing is the challenges that uh, the banding of fertilizer brings when you, when you talk about multi-passes. Um, John Deere's got a, a technology feature called AutoPath, which really has made strip tilling easy. So as we strip till in the fall or strip till in the spring, we're able to actually load those source passes to the planter so that when we pull in with the planter, whether we're using active implement guidance or the passive implement guidance feature, we can actually basically drive right on top of those strips and ensure that that planter is always on top of that banded fertilizer strip. You know, it makes a big deal. In our experience, whether you have fertilizer in there or not, just staying on that strip is so big. For us, we did a little bit of work where we were moving over a certain number of inches to the side just to see, okay, if I move over three inches to the side, six inches to the side, when does yield really start falling off? And we we found once we got off that strip, of course, you've got any residue that's gotten put out uh, just outside that strip now that you're bouncing over with gauge wheels and you've got, you know, just a lot of issues that you're going to run into if you get out of that strip so that makes a big difference yeah yeah the quality of the strip really is it really leads to a really nice seed bed and yeah once you get that once you get that gauge wheel off that strip and get that opener out of that you know banded managed soil residue strip we really see a reduction pretty quick what do you see with the, the trend with strip till? And I know we get a lot of questions whenever we talk about this. We, we get a lot of feedback from, from farmers saying, I'm thinking about it, or what about in my area, or what about in these types of soils? Are you finding kind of some sweet spots where it's really working out for guys? You know, the areas that uh, really have taken off is the no-till areas where we have, you know, some of that stratification of nutrients. Um, we get reductions in yields due to, you know, residue being on top of the surface, hard pans. So if we look at like our area, the South Dakota region has become, you know, very prevalent in it. A lot of no-till guys started seeing that the benefit of, you know, working that little strip, reducing compaction, getting that fertilizer a little bit deeper, that really has starting to 
started to show a positive result for, for strip till. Yeah, it's been something over the years for us in our farm where we're trying lots of different things and uh, playing around with depths and playing around with uh, coulters versus shanks and uh, different types of fertilizer, different blends, all these kinds of things. It's it, it takes a little bit to dial it in on your own farm exactly how you want to do it and how you want to do it the best way. Yes, yep, it does. But uh, it seems like when you when you find the right technology to make it easier you find whether you want to go shank or coulter, find whether you want to go fall or spring. You know, once you get that dialed in, there is some really good positive results that we are that we are seeing from it. You know, the cover crop thing has been an interesting one, too. And I know a number of guys uh, out here, especially in the western Corn Belt that I've been on farms, seeing guys utilizing cover crops along with strip till. But I hear from guys in the east that are doing that as well. What are you seeing with that? Because you, you certainly have a lot of different crop rotations in the area you cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, so cover crops, you know, there's many different uses that we're seeing. We're we're seeing some guys, you know, cover crops for livestock. We're seeing cover crops for just plain old soil health. And then we're also seeing cover crops in, you know, some of the areas where we got lighter soils. We've actually had some guys run strip tills to uh, to actually apply cover crops in a strip and then and then basically plant in between that strip the next year for wind protection and some easily erodible soils or, or wind-blowing soils. So lots of different uses uh, for, for cover crops that we're seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes you can get an additional use out of a, out of a strip-till applicator for that reason. How are you encouraging the, the John Deere dealers that you work with to determine the right size of the rig for a guy? Do you, do you go by horsepower requirements, or, or, or what do you kind of look at to, to figure out, do I need a 12-row machine, do I need a 16? Uh, how, do I, how do I size that up right? Yeah, definitely it can be, you know, it can be on, it can be on uh, horsepower ratings. Um, for so long, it was always on matching your planner, so... You know, if you had a 12-row planter or a 24-row planter, you'd always go a 12-row strip till um, or 16-row, you know, you'd go to a 16-row strip till. But with the technology of both AutoPath, RTK guidance, um, passive and active implement guidance, you know, for a guy that's got a higher horsepower tractor, you know, he might be able to go a 16-row strip till and match that up with a 24-row planter because of that technology. So, the conversation is the conversation is getting easier and easier with the with the technology that John Deere has to really make it easier to implement any size to match any planter configuration. What do you see on row spacings? We talk a lot about thirty inch rows because that's what we're doing. But do you see a lot of guys on narrower rows on twenties or twenty twos doing strips? We see some 22s um, and some 20s. It really depends the area you're in. It, you know, if you're if you're a lot of continuous corn, um, the narrower that row spacing gets, the harder it is to move that material uh, without actually moving it onto the strip next to it. So it's it's really going to depend the area. You know, we've seen some guys in you know that South Dakota, North Dakota border, and then into North Dakota, uh, be in that narrower strip till just, just due to the residue being a little bit less. Um, so really it's going to depend the area you're in and, and whether you, ha you can manage that residue, um, depending on, you know, 
corn yields and, and what's left over after the fall harvest. I kind of led right into my last question for you. All right. So I'm getting big time corn yield, Stephen, and I want to go corn on corn. Can it be done? Now, I would say this. We have done it on our farm, but we've been doing strip till for a long time. So we kind of know how to do things. But what do you advise for guys as they're getting in? Do you say, eh, maybe let's go on the soybean ground first just to, to get used to this thing? Or do you just have guys dive right in and do it on corn on corn? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing is, you know, managing the residue on the corn head. Um, so definitely, you know, stock rolls that are in good shape so that you're sizing that residue. Um, also, you know, if you're in an area where you got really good yields, there's there's definitely possibility of using a chopping corn head before that strip till goes through. So the smaller you can break up that residue, the more manageable it is for that strip till. You know, every pretty much every strip till has got some type of residue manager up front. Um, being able to push that material away is a lot easier when we have smaller residue pieces. So, you know, it's it's kind of a mix between getting it right with the combine and then picking the right type of strip till for for the ground condition that you're running in you're absolutely right on that chopping corn head. We found that to be invaluable when we go corn on corn so we can deal with stuff a little better. But you know what? Everybody's system's a little different and everybody's equipment's a little different in what they're doing. So uh, it's one of those things. Uh, it definitely can be done. If somebody was asking me, I'd say, you know, you absolutely can do it. But there's a few little things that we're doing to make it work better. And here's what they are. And, and yeah, you just see what they've got for equipment and, and uh, manpower and possibilities as well. Hey, Stephen, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today i'll have to have you on again sometime yes thank you very much have a great day you bet you as well stay tuned you're listening to ag phd radio you can count on agro liquid for precision crop nutrition when you don't get all your potash down in the fall when weather or market prices change your management strategy or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. 
Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Been talking about strip till on our show today. Our phone lines, of course, are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have any questions. And now let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. Uh, first question comes in from Jeremy over in central Minnesota, and he sends a picture of a weed. With uh, a number of pictures. First of all, great job on the pictures, Jeremy. This was really helpful. He did some close-ups on the leaves, kind of a little further out picture. I even see some barbed wire in the back, so I know what you're talking about, that it's right on the edge. Uh, He said, all right, guys, uh, Jeremy here in central Minnesota. got some pictures for you. Uh, I'm not sure what this is. Is it buck brush or buck thorn? It's starting to take over the pastures and and along the, the woods, along the fields. Just wondering, how can I get rid of it without killing the good trees? I was going to try and brush cut what we can for now. Not sure if that's a great idea, but I just wonder if there's anything else we can spray. Okay, first of all, you've got buckthorn. And uh, I also have some buckthorn on the edge of, of some trees. And my wife's like, man, this is a great little, uh, I love having this brush out here. It really helps stop the wind. It kind of fills in the edge of the grove, those kinds of things. And while I won't argue with her about that, it sure does fill things in. Uh, This one likes to spread, like you mentioned, out into the pastures and so forth. So in the pastures, if you don't have... um, desirable trees out there, then you've got a lot of options. You can use something with Tordon in it or something with Milestone in it. Uh, Chaparral would be a nice choice. Um, If you do have other trees around, though, um, you don't want to have something with that much soil activity. In that case, I like something like Remedy Ultra. I I think that's a better choice. And Triclopyr, if you're using that, that works pretty good. If you've got it in a tree grove, and I actually talked to my wife about this, that I think we're going to take some of these out and we can kind of target it. You can treat the the outside of the base of the stem uh, with Remedy Ultra, and it's not going to kill all the other trees. I'm going to try it out on a small scale first and see if I'm good at doing that before I get too carried away and just take out some targeted ones. Uh, but Otherwise, you could certainly brush cut and you could treat stumps, uh, and that would be a way to do it. I'll, I'll say this, though. I, I was talking to uh, one of our neighbors about this, and um, 
he said, well, I had had the same issue, and I tried a little bit of Tordon because I thought I was far enough away from everything else, and I just cut some some stumps and did it that way. But he goes, man, I went through the root system, and since it's spreading, some of those root systems were interconnected, and it went right up and killed uh, some of the other trees. So he said, just be really careful uh, if, if you're doing that. I, I personally like Remedy Ultra, so I don't have the soil activity. Um, thanks for the question, Jeremy. Good luck to you killing the buckthorn. And by the way, uh, buckthorn can be a overwintering site for soybean aphids. So that's something to think about. Uh, also, buckthorn, I think a lot of those plant parts uh, could actually be poisonous for some animals or at least mess your digestive system up a little bit. So it's one of those plants that, you know what, I guess if you're leaving it alone and it's not bothering anything, it's no problem at all. But if it is getting out into pasture and reducing the amount of grass that your animals have to feed on, those types of things, uh, then certainly take that, take that weed out. All right, appreciate it. Uh, next one here is from Doug. And he said, guys, you talk about side dressing with nitrogen. You guys get into some discussions here on N and what's the right rate. And I'm just curious, should we use the old proven pound to 1.2 pounds of N for each bushel of our yield goal? Should we use the MRTN rate, which would be maximum return to N? Uh, there's actually an online calculator for that, by the way, if you're not familiar with the MRTN uh, Iowa State, Purdue, University of Minnesota, Michigan State, uh, University of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Ohio State uh, all have contributed to that. So you could certainly look at that. Uh, also, what do you think about things uh, like nitrogen replacement type products or other snake oils? <laughs> I love that one, Doug. Okay, uh, so let's talk about this. How, how do you figure out what your right rate is? First of all, the first thing that I like to do, and I'll just start here because this is a, a non-biased and uh, safe number to use. So we work together with the International Plant Nutrition Institute to develop the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. It's a free download. It's so useful for a lot of different crops and, and the folks at AgriLiquid have actually helped us uh, with that and keeping it up and running too. Uh, but you can just type in any crop you want. Let's just say corn, for example, and say that you're shooting for 200 bushel corn. Uh, how much nitrogen does it take? Well, the total uh, nitrogen uptake for 200 bushel corn is 224 pounds. Now it says 90 pounds will be used in the stove or 134 pounds will leave the field in the grain, but you still need to, to get 224 pounds into the crop. So if you divide that out, that's a little bit over 1.1 pounds of N. So you're kind of, you're kind of right with that one to 1.2 pounds of N. But I look at what is your soil test? How much nitrate is left over so you've got some amount of nitrogen that's going to be in your soil. Let's just say it's 50 pounds or 100 pounds. If there's 50 or 100 pounds already out there in the soil, I don't have to add that on to get to my 224. Now, of course, you could potentially have some loss during the year, which is why we get concerned about if we put all the nitrogen out up front, which I'll be real honest, sometimes we do. We put all the N out up front if we think we're going to have a dry year we're in an area that doesn't get much for moisture. We've got heavy soils, high organic matter. Uh, we just don't have much problem losing nitrogen. 
you could put all the nitrogen out up front, and if you lose some of that, hey, you might have to come and put more on later. Well, that's expensive, so we don't want to do that. So we do look at what we have for nitrate in the soil, and we keep that in mind. Then we look at what our organic matter is. So in our part of the world, we're getting roughly uh, 20 to 30 pounds of N per 1% of organic matter. Well, we've got some soil that's 4 and 5% organic matter. If we get 20 pounds out of that, well, that could be 100 pounds of N that we get for free. So that's awesome. The question is, when is that organic matter going to release that nitrogen? Well, think about it. It's going to take some heat to really get that mineralization kicked in. So a lot of our release is going to be in June and July. Well, it just often, often uh, happens to time quite well with when our crop is really in those rapid growth stages. So the crop generally is able to use that quite a bit. So I look at nitrate, then I look at organic matter in the soil, and then what I like to do is a pre-side dress nitrate test. If I'm thinking about doing some side dress, I, I can come back in and add some more at that time. It only costs 5 to $10 to do a, a test that way, just see, okay, what's in the soil? And you can do a few of those throughout the farm and get an idea, well, how much of my nitrogen is still there. So I utilize all those things uh, to, to see how much I'm going to do. So you will read in magazines, and this gets confusing, someone will say, well, I raised... 200 bushel corn and I only put on 120 pounds of nitrogen. So that's 0.6 pounds per bushel. But what they're not telling you is how much organic matter they've got and how much carryover nitrogen they've got. I'll give you an example on our farm just from the last couple of years here. Uh, two years ago, we did some soil testing and we had more than 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre left after a pretty good soybean crop. Well, Nobody thinks they're going to get 100 pounds of nitrogen left after soybeans. That was awesome. Well, I was really excited about that. And then we went to the next field, and we had almost zero pounds of N left. And you think, well, what's the difference? We, we manage the two fields the same way. That's just how it works out sometimes. So I really do recommend soil testing. I love testing. Uh, we do our testing in the fall, and then we'll also do some just before when we'd be doing some side dressing. So we got a couple of different measures there of how we could figure out what we need for nitrogen. So, yeah, to answer your question, it is a little bit complicated uh, because it just depends on your soil and what kind of weather conditions you've had. It's not the same exact strategy year after year. And I know you're commenting on a, a, a segment that we did on side dressing in. So if you're going to do some side dressing, I would pull a sample before you do that. Uh, and then I should comment, too. You mentioned about... Um, different nitrogen replacement products, things um, that are out there on the market today that some would call snake oils. We did testing on a lot of those um, nitrogen-producing bacteria and these types of things and actually found that most of them do provide some additional N for your plant. They do it in lots of different ways, though. So, so you just have to look at whatever product it is and try and understand, okay, how is this going to produce nitrogen for me? The challenge that we found was they cost in general, anywhere from 50 cents a unit to over a dollar a unit for the nitrogen they produced. So they haven't been really cost effective versus just buying commercial nitrogen today. But in some areas, you're limited on how much commercial N you can apply. So they'd be a really good option in those cases. Well, thanks for the questions today. And thanks for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.